Welcome to the Side by Side podcast, where we connect busy female leaders in ministry to the practical resources they need today. We're your co-hosts. I'm Annie Purdue Olson. And I'm Heidi Swart. Our topic today is about as relevant as it gets. You know what? We're talking about race and specifically how the church can and should be a part of the conversation. You know what? It's even more difficult to have this conversation as we continue to walk our way through a global pandemic where we can't get face to face to have these serious conversations. That's something I talked about with Shanika, who's our guest today, because we haven't had the opportunity to process the way we would normally like to have these conversations. We happen to be a part, uh, Shanika and I, of a very culturally diverse church where this this conversation is on the table a lot, but we haven't been able to gather to talk about it just yet. And it can be a really uncomfortable topic if we don't have the right words and we don't have the right approach to it. There is absolutely no doubt that we're at a defining point in our country and the world really, you know, following the many racially, uh, the racial incidents that have triggered this conversation and really brought it to the surface again. You know what, and I think the church actually has an opportunity here right now. And I would suggest they not only have the opportunity, but they have the responsibility to actually lead the dialogue. And it starts with listening, but it also is about responding to what we're hearing. I agree. And our guest today is Shanika Polk. She has worked in multiple areas of ministry, as you're going to hear in our interview today, at Grace Church here in Avon, Massachusetts. She majored in youth ministry and Bible, and she also has her associate's degree in child education from a Bible college in Missouri. She was born in California, raised in Arkansas, and she loves tacos and anything competitive. She loves competitive sports. But the thing that shines through with Shanika is her passion for people. And she wants them to really truly understand and know their own value in God's eyes. You know, and that really sets up how important it is for us to actually address the issues of race in the church. We need all people to feel and experience and express that value that in God's eyes. And sometimes we just don't know how to do that well. We don't know what to say. We stumble to find our path. And it's time to have this conversation. Yeah, in this episode, we'll talk exactly about that and very openly about finding those right words. We're also going to be talking about the one thing that you absolutely, that we all need to do when we engage in conversations about race and why as leaders, our instinct is to problem solve, but that is not necessarily the right approach to this particular conversation. And what really stood out to me was how important it is to say things and not say other things. So what to say and what not to say when we have these conversations about race. You know what, whether you're leading a culturally diverse church or a primarily white church, whether you're serving in a culturally diverse community as a ministry or whether you're serving in a predominantly white community, this conversation is critical um, to respond appropriately. You may be at a loss for words, you might not know what to do, but let's dive in and gather words of wisdom from Shanika today. Well, welcome Shanika. It's so nice to have you here today. 
Thank you. It is really good to be here. So yeah, well now I'm going to call you Cha because mm -hmm. that's the name that I think most people know you by. Yes, absolutely. Great. And <laughs> yes. uh, I, I first started seeing you when we started attending Grace and this was um, Grace Church, which is where we both go. And this was about six or seven years ago. And we were so excited to find an evangelical church in New England. For those of you who live outside of this region, you may not know quite how rare that is. And one of the things I noticed was that um, Cha was everywhere. Everywhere we looked, we would see Cha. And she was <laughs> by far the most visible female leader in the church. So I was intrigued and I've gotten to know her over the years. And um, most recently she traveled to Guatemala with my husband and my middle, no, my youngest son, Yeah, um, which is a great opportunity for them to get to know you too. It was really cool actually being with them. So excellent. <laughs> They're a lot of fun. Um, your youngest son is honestly so funny to me because <laughs> he does zero things and the girls were like, oh my God, he looked over here. And he was just, it, he was just so chill about everything. I loved it. So. Well, that's great. I, it's fun to hear as a mom uh, yeah. you know, that he's able to socialize with the opposite sex. <laughs> So tell me how you got connected to Grace, because you're also, like me, not a native New Englander. Yeah, so in college, um, and I went to the same college that our pastor went to, mm -hmm. and um, and one of our location pastors also went to that college. He was my college pastor there in Missouri. And uh, so during the summers, I traveled for the school. We recruited. We did, like, we ran games um, for the church, different church camps. And um, Sean is our lead pastor. He was one of the speakers. And so we knew him. He was alumni. Everyone thought he was so cool. And so he was talking with us. And, you know, so we're trying to hear from him. And he asks us, like, why are you going to Bible college, what do you want to do? And so I just shared a little bit of my story. And he had been, I guess, watching our team as as every, I think, pastor does watch college students to see like, are there good hires or whatever. And so he, at the end um, of one of the weeks that we were with him, he was like, you should move to Boston and work with our middle schoolers. <laughs> and I, that is unheard of in our world. Um, a, honestly, being a female in youth ministry and then being asked to come and lead a ministry, that was unheard of. And I thought, ha, ha, ha no way. But <laughs> eventually, um, that was after my sophomore year, after my senior year, um, I packed up my car and I drove out. I had decided, you know, during my senior year, I decided to move. And uh, he was like, all right, great. You're here. I can't pay you anything. He told me that before. <laughs> um, but he helped me get, like, I, I got a couple of jobs and, um, started, yeah, just kind of like volunteer leading the middle yeah. school. So, yeah, well, yeah. so you started in middle school, which is interesting <laughs> because I started out by saying everywhere I looked at Grace, I saw you. So what have been some of the other hats you've worn during your 10 yes. years with that, with Grace? Yeah. So, um, middle school director, um, at one point, kind of like interim high school director, um, worship leader. I was over first impressions for a little while. Um, I currently lead our community involvement and our missions. So both of those things. Um, what else have I done? Oh, kids ministry. Uh, I host our online services right now. I run all of the events that happen at our church outside of like conferences or things like that. So um, I do a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I'd say. Did you have a favorite Ooh, that's a tough question. I think, so 
I studied youth ministry. And so throughout all of the years that I've been here, I've done youth ministry plus something else. Mm. And so I really do think youth ministry might be my favorite, um, but nothing beats the feeling of like running an event that is crazy. You've been preparing for, and then like being done with it. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, like I did it. Yeah. You know, So uh, I really love like finishing an event and sure. like, wow, that went well, or that was no good. And then going to the drawing board. So. <laughs> I still trying love it. again. You're yeah. Right. Yeah. So I would say youth is my favorite, but finishing an event that is, there's nothing like it. So yeah. Excellent. Well, one of the things that I love about our church and it's been obvious from the beginning is it's diversity. Hmm. How do you think that grace has cultivated uh, that development? Yeah. Um, I think our pastor is asked this question a lot and he talks about this a lot, but, um, this is, he personally like cares for just people in general. He has one of the biggest hearts for people. Um, and he always says that the church should reflect like the neighborhood, the community that it's in. Um, and it will reflect the community that the pastor is a part of. And so if you, like look at his close friends, they're all very different than him. They're different races, they're different ages, they're different like financial places. Um, and that is what you'll see at Grace um, because I think he he sees the importance of just people and finding value in people. And he does like the hard work to meet people where they're at and, you know, go to where they need you. And so he just, he, he leads our church well in that because that's his personal life. Um, but he also feels like that's how to, how the church should reflect its community. So, yeah. Yeah. And that genuinely is seen from, you know, day to day, week to week, um, when he's speaking and leading the church that we get to be a part of. And for those of you who aren't familiar with New England churches, um, it's very much a parish model. So it's very difficult to get people to leave the community in which they live to go even to the next town. Mm. So um, the reflection of the community seems to be a, a part of um, what he's been able to successfully do. Is that a fair assessment? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think if you were to, there's several different towns that attend our church. We kind of sit in the middle of like four, mm-hmm. like right on the line of four different towns. If you go like a minute in either direction, you're in a, in a different town. Um, but even expanded outside of that, um, there are tons of different communities. And so it represents like the close four miles, like four mile radius, but then like another 40 miles outside of that. You have people coming up from the Cape and people coming from the city. And um, it, it really does reflect just what lives right around us. So yeah. I don't know. It's really cool. I've never been a part of a church that reflects its community so well. Yeah, I would I would echo that. I think yeah. it's it's pretty remarkable what has been able to happen in those in the walls of that church and more importantly outside of the walls of that church. Yeah. And you know, the dialogue about race has accelerated and it has escalated to just about every corner of mm. our world. And we were talking about how um, difficult it's been because we haven't been able to gather in person to have this conversation. Yeah. So how do we as the capital C church, right? Mm -hmm. Engage in this conversation. Yeah. Um, I think it is the responsibility of the church, um, to kind of like 
take all of those, um, like all of those barriers, you know, um, where it comes racially, I think we have to reflect Jesus. Mm. And he, if you look at the way that Jesus interacted with people, um, he didn't seclude himself to one group. He didn't seclude himself to one race. He kind of, he kind of um, stepped over those boundaries at a time where it wasn't like the popular thing to do. Um, he was, yeah, he was put down for you know going to a poor person's house or going or speaking with a woman, speaking to a Samaritan. You know, so he was he he stepped outside of his boundaries that he you know other people may have put him in those boundaries, but he stepped outside of those. Um, and said, every one of these people that I'm putting myself next to has value to me, mm-hmm. and I will go to them. And I think the church, Capital C Church, that is our responsibility. We are the bride. We are to reflect what Jesus did. We're to imitate what Jesus did. And I think if the church can do that, if even just in baby steps we begin doing that, um, I think we'll be able to kind of have a, an impact in our world and set an example of what other people may begin doing. So, yeah. Definitely. And and one of the words that I grabbed when we first talked was the word empathy. Yeah. You know, I have an understanding of empathy from a psychology and counseling perspective. Yeah. I think the challenge is that how do I really put myself into someone else's shoes when I can't fully understand their experience? Yeah. Um, one of the, like things that I have been trying to learn really well because I'm not good at this is lamenting Mm. and um, just being able to be sad or like have some kind of emotion about a thing. Uh, I, I don't really like showing emotions outside of like, woo, I'm so excited about a thing, you know, but (laughs) when I'm sad about something, I'm like, what can I do? What, what needs to happen? Um, and God has really shown me, I need to sit in a thing and understand fully the situation at hand. Um, and in this conversation, I think often we move past that sadness of things. Like, if we can understand something bad happened, like someone's life was taken or someone was mistreated. Mm-hmm. Um, if we can be sad about that thing first, um, before we try to say who was in the right, who was in the wrong, if we can just be sad about that, something terrible happened. Um, I think that that allows us to be able to see both sides of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if I can understand that you have, your feelings were hurt about something and I can just say, man, my, my feelings would be hurt if something like that happened to me. Mm. Now I can, I can empathize with you. I didn't go through that, exa- that same exact thing. Um, but you're sad and I'm sad that you're sad. So it helps me like begin to understand, I think, um, like I said, I'm really bad at sharing my feelings. <laughs> so, um, I know that when I've talked to people and they're like, um, well, it just, I've never gone through that, you know, and it's, it's difficult for me to understand because I haven't gone through that. I don't see it happening in the people that I know. I don't see it happening with the people that I know. Um, and I mean, I guess it could be happening, but did they deserve that? And that, that's usually what follows, um, if somebody doesn't agree that there's, you know, or that there's racial tension or that, you know, there's police brutality or, that there is tension towards the police. If we haven't experienced it ourselves, we just say, well, here's what I'm feeling. And I think when we project what we're feeling without 
being able to just feel sad for someone else, we miss being able to have a conversation. We miss being able to kind of come to a solution together. So I, yeah, empathy, I think begins with just being sad for somebody. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and hearing out why, why is, why are you sad? Why are you hurt? What's going on? What's causing that? And if I can't understand that, then I need to just sit with that for a minute before I jump to a conclusion. Um, and I'm, yeah, I'm learning that alongside other people who are, who are learning that. And I think if we can do that, then I don't know, better conversations may happen is my, is what I, I think. I yeah. love the idea of starting with empathy and actually I'm going to back up starting with mm. lamenting Yeah, because I think that's a, a powerful um, opportunity to really, to, to grieve and to uh, open yourself up to what God might have to say to you about a particular situation. Yeah. I think the distinction I want to make here, uh, it, is the difference between empathy and sympathy and Mm. sympathy becomes that I feel sorry for you versus empathy, meaning I am standing alongside of you. I am with you. Yeah. I I get that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, because I think I can do sympathy well, Mm -hmm. you know, I think we can all be like, Oh, that's a sad thing that happened. Right. Um, but if I'm empathetic about a thing, I'm taking on what you're feeling. Yeah, I am standing. I'm standing alongside you. um, And I think there's more effort in understanding. Yeah. So like more effort towards understanding someone Mm -hmm. when you take on their feelings. So, yeah, absolutely. So as a leader, uh, Mm. how do you, what are the keys for people who are in leadership positions to show that kind of empathy and lead through these conversations? Yeah. Um, after you, like when I, I got these questions and I wanted really, I was like, Oh, how do I reflect this so well? (laughs) And I was like, I should definitely say you need to reflect to Jesus. And then I thought I should study that a little more and like figure out why I feel like that's the first thing. Cause that's like the churchy, I'm a, I'm a woman in ministry. Like that's the answer that I need to give. Um, but so many times Jesus sees a situation and he had compassion for them and then he moved to act. Mm. And like in, before it even realizes, or like before it names his compassion, it, it, he saw the need that there Mm. was. Um, and that like, that moved me. Um, so as someone in leadership, I think when we see a situation, I think we need to figure out the need and have compassion towards that and then move to action, then move to like leading people in the charge. And, um, if we can have compassion that allows us to show, like to have empathy, like if I can see that, you know, I see their need now I can understand why they're feeling the way that they're feeling or they're behaving the way that they're behaving, or they're not doing something that I think that they should be doing. If we can understand that, have compassion, then as leaders, I think we can make great decisions because we're, we're, we're not just doing what we think should be done. We're doing what that, what somebody else needs, you know? Mm. And I think, that part comes in leadership. It's almost like a humbling thing is not just to lead or do what we think needs to happen is to do what, what other people need. And that Mm. way I can lead you and I can lead you like Jesus. He saw the need first and then he met it with that need. He didn't just come straight out with, all right, all of you guys are terrible and you need me. Like I'm here, (laughs) you know, he, 
he met their need first and presented them then with what he knew that they should have. Mm. So as leaders, especially in the church, um, or if you're a leader in work and you're a believer, Mm. um, we have to reflect Jesus. Like we have to imitate Jesus in every situation because he knew he knew that his example would be the best. So, um, yeah, that's my very long answer to we need to reflect Jesus. <laughs> we, we need to look at what Jesus did and we need to do exactly that. So to the best of our ability. Yeah, I think leaders are always tempted to say something first. Mm-hmm. I think they feel like they have to have all the answers and they need to have the perfect words Can you give some examples of things in conversations about race that people should say and things that we shouldn't say? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I wrote these down because I, I want, well, I really like having the right answer, (laughs) (laughs) but um, I just, I really thought about the, this question Um, and from my own perspective. And I know, yeah. Um, what, one of the biggest things is I would say, do not make assumptions about a whole entire group of people, um, from one experience or from many experiences. Um, don't make assumptions. And one of the other things that I've seen, and it's been done to me, um, but like, don't assume all people of color are poor. Mm. Or that all people of color have one um, political party that, mm. that we all feel like every person of color is right, that we all agree about the same thing. Um, I think all of those kind of fall under assumptions, but specifics. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and one thing that I think we're very inclined to do is to hear something and then put ourselves um, like, oh, here's my experience with that. Mm. Um, but I think including like your story and saying, uh, you know, oh, I have a black friend or, you know, my, my, my wife is black or my husband is like, those things don't like us having a good relationship with someone else of, you know, someone of a different color than you or a different race or belief than you doesn't make us incapable of, being prejudiced. It doesn't make us incapable of like thinking a certain way about, about people. Like we can still make generalizations, even though we have great relationships with, you know, people of color. So, um, I don't use that as an excuse Mm -hmm. to, to not look at what you're doing or saying and see if there needs to be an adjustment. Mm. Um, because sometimes even like, I love, I love sports. That is, I love sports. I don't know everything about every sport. And so I can still say something that does not match um, the sport that I'm watching. And I'm like, well, I love sports, so I can't be wrong here. And I I think we do that when it comes to, because we don't want to feel like we're being offensive. And sometimes we just need to, oh, I didn't realize that was offensive. Um, I didn't realize that's not the call that should be made or, you know, like mm. trying to go back and forth between analogies, but, um, <laughs> I'm not good at analogy, but, um, yeah, I think don't make assumptions. Um, but some things that I think you could do, um, is to ask permission before you ask a question, mm. like, Hey, can I ask you something about 
can I ask you about this? Yeah. Um, because I do think tensions are very high right now, and some mm-hmm. people are just tired of talking about their hurt. Mm-hmm. They are tired of they're tired of explaining why they're hurt mm-hmm. or why they're done talking about it or why they're done explaining. Um, so yeah, ask permission first before you, you know, I was thinking about this thing and why do you do this or that or whatever? Why do you say this? Or yeah. Um, ask permission to ask a question. It, I think it allows that person to be prepared mm-hmm. um, to not be on the defense. Like if someone says, Hey, I may be asking you a question that, is going to sound really dumb. I immediately want to make sure that they don't feel dumb in asking mm-hmm. that question because if they came to me, like they trust that I'm going to help them with the answer, you know? So ask permission um, and then don't refute what they're saying. Just like take it, listen to it and say like, did that help me or did it not help me? Or, you know, that, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. I, yeah, that would be my... Don't make assumptions and always ask permission, ask permission before asking tough questions. Yeah, that ask that asking for permission is is really powerful, and I think that's a really uh, tangible takeaway mm. for anybody who's listening today. Is there yeah. anything else you want to add in terms of a tangible takeaway that somebody can do right now today to make to make a difference in this area? Absolutely, um, I would say to listen. Um, or be in a conversation, not to respond. Like, listen just to be listening. Listen to understand. Um, not everything has to be a debate. Hmm. Um, but I think if if we can just keep listening to each other, and, and that really does go both ways. Um, if I'm explaining something to my friends who are not, you know, they're not Black, they're, if I'm explaining something to them, um, it doesn't make everything that I'm saying correct. It makes Mm -hmm. everything that I'm saying my feelings. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be responded with, responded to, um, with a like debuttal or like, let me tell you all the facts that I know about what you're saying. If somebody is like, oh, I heard X, Y, and Z and not just like, no, you're wrong. This is the answer. I'm so much more inclined to keep that conversation going and talk to them in the future, like trust them later. I think we especially as women need to listen just to listen before listening to respond. Like, what can they say that I can attack? I think if we stop doing that, our conversations will be a little less toxic. They'll be Mm -hmm. a little more helpful. I think we can kind of come to better agreements and better relationships even. That can happen whether you're talking to a person of color or not. Every relationship, I think, um, even as leaders, we need to listen to hear and not to respond. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's such a great way to end that, you know, that listen first reminder is so hard and, you know, the more we practice it and the more reminded, we are reminded that we need to do that. I think the more powerful our conversations become and it opens the doorway to dialogue to what could otherwise be a very volatile or emotional mm-hmm. conversation. Yeah. So I'm so I have one more. Yeah, please. That's okay. Sure. I forgot. I forgot. <laughs> um, I also think um, that we should be studying scripture to mm-hmm. know it for ourselves. Um, yeah. That we should spend personal time getting to know what scripture has to say so that we can reflect Jesus, we can reflect the love of God in our personal lives and not just repeating what we've heard from other people. And, um, I think that is, I think that's really important. 
And if your faith isn't in Jesus, um, it's understandable that you wouldn't go to scripture. Hmm. Um, but I think even people who don't believe in God can learn something from scripture that teaches us about the things that we're going through. And that may even push you towards like an interest there too. So learn the scripture for yourself, decide for yourself too, whether or not you believe it and not just, well, I've heard that the Bible says this. So yeah. Yeah, you, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, you started, you started there. You started with him, with Jesus as being mm-hmm. our ultimate example. So it's yeah. a great place to wrap it up and to um, uh, have that as a final takeaway for our conversation. Thank you so much, Ja, for your willingness to talk about this. Yeah, I appreciate even just being able to be a part of it. So yeah, yeah. Well, continue your work uh, in in the future. Continue leading well. Yeah, thank you. Or seeing what's next for you. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, absolutely. You've been listening to the Side by Side podcast with Annie Purdue Olson and Heidi Sword. Click subscribe so you don't miss out on practical tips from experienced leaders. Share a comment and let us know what's on your mind. If you are a busy leader and you are ready to stop the madness, download our Busy Leader's Guide to Sticky Habits from the link in the show notes. For more resources, check out our website, www.sidebysidepodcast.online.